Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. We all wait no. <laughs> <laughs> wrong musical. We all it's such, such a lover. Everybody's like, no, not again. <laughs> not again. We, we don't know. Boo. No, wrong musical. Wrong musical. I'm sorry. Um, so today we're actually we're not talking about Aida. We're talking about Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon. Um, so this is another musical that is based on an opera, and no other. The original source material is the opera. Last week, if you missed it, we did talk about Madama Butterfly, which is the source material for this uh, musical. Um, it was written by the 1980s musical powerhouse. <laughs> French uh, writing team of Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alain Bouble, <laughs> which I don't know if that's how you pronounce their names, but I think it's you cool. should say it. You um, should say it once slowly, whether it's correct or incorrect. Claude Michel Schoenberg, because it has the umlaut over the O. Mm-hmm. So Schoenberg, and then Alain uh, Boublil. Boublil. Yes. Powerhouse composing duo Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alain Boublil. They wrote the music and lyrics for Les Mis, which was obviously a huge commercial success. Still Um, is. And then still is. It's been revived God knows how many times. Um, And so Miss Saigon premiered in 1989 um, and it ran for a bazillion years. Um, it apparently set a world record for opening day ticket sales. The sales what? in excess what? of four million pounds were reported because it first premiered in, in London in the West End. Wow! How is um, that? I I don't know. Just I mean, really Les high Mis, ticket prices. Les Mis was real fucking popular. That's true. So uh, I guess it was in the following 80s, Les Mis. Right. This was their follow up to Les Mis, and I don't know what they've. I do know what they've written since then. This is music called the pirate. <laughs> called the pirate queen, and it is trash. Um, <laughs> it's really funny, though. I I highly recommend listening to it. I mean, the singers are all great in it. Um, but yeah, Woo-hoo! interesting. Le garbage. All right. So um, the the background for this musical basically takes. The plot of Madama Butterfly, and it sets it in 1975 at the end of the uh, the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. hmm. or the war against America, which is what they call it in Vietnam. Uh, um, the war against American imperialism, to be oh, precise. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Mm-hmm. The war against American imperialism. My apologies. Um, so what happened was they, one of them, let's say it was Claude Michel because it's easier for me to say, uh, <laughs> saw a picture, a picture in a magazine of a, uh, a Vietnamese woman who was at an army air base and it was a picture of her leaving her child at the, at, um, the gate to be taken back to America. Um, because she, obviously the, the father was an American GI and she was abandoning her child. So the child would go to America so it could lead a better life. And mm-hmm. uh, they both saw this as, like, the ultimate sacrifice. And that was sort of this photo put the idea in their head of a story like this. Huh. Um, so it opened in uh, 1989 in London. And it closed after a little over 4,000 performances. Wow. wow. 
Um, this Miss Saigon was the, the launching pad of a then unknown Leah Salonga. Right. Really? Yes. Known for a bazillion things, but I know her always as the singing voice of Princess Jasmine in Aladdin. Nice. Oh, Princess Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Wasn't she in the revival of Miss Saigon too? Or no? This recent revival? Mm-hmm. No. She was in the recent revival of uh, Once on this Island. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Um, but she played the the female lead in Miss Saigon. The character's name is Kim. Kim is the Chosho san. So if we want to just jump basically right into the, the background of the musical. So it's about 1975. The Vietnam War is essentially over. They're pulling out slowly the rest of the American troops from Vietnam. They've gone through this whole process of trying to arm the South Vietnamese so they can fight their own conflict. That, spoilers, doesn't go very well. Right. Which it, it never does. Um so the American soldiers are at this brothel called Dreamland, uh, mm. a bar and a brothel, and they're all hanging out there, and it's Kim's first day there, and she's sort of this innocent child. They age her up, so she's 17, which makes it <laughs> vaguely more acceptable. It oh, does that was decent of them. It was decent to them. So she's 17. She's an orphan. Her family has all died in this conflict. Um, and I looked it up. The average age of an American soldier during the Vietnam War was 21. So mm-hmm. okay, they're so a little not, bit more age peers. <laughs> not horrifically separated by age. No. So um, the Pinkerton in this version, his name is Chris. He um, is a... <laughs> his name is... <laughs> Yeah, Chris. What? His, Chris. Name's, his name's Chris. His name is Chris. Chris. And, uh, what's his last name like? Johnson? I don't know if we know. I don't his, think that we ever find out. His name is Chris Johnson. His name's Chris Johnson. Um, <laughs> right, so his name is Chris. Chris is there with uh, his friend John and some of the other... <laughs> well, he's close. <laughs> Chris and John. Oh, God. Uh, so Kim is this sort of inexperienced virgin, like she is in the opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's her first day, and she's very scared, and she's nervous. And the bar is sort of run by this French-Vietnamese man who goes by the engineer, who is sort of this Machiavellian character. And he's, I guess, kind of the stand-in for Sharpless sure. in the musical. Um, so all the, the, the soldiers, the American soldiers, are there, and they're ready to blow off some steam. And they sing... Um, a chorus that goes about as well as all male choruses and musicals go. It's called what? the heat is on. It's called the heat is on in Saigon. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I just. I think we should just listen to some of it because it makes me laugh so hard every time I hear it. Because okay, it's how like, does it go? Uh, the heat is on in Saigon. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are hotter than hell. Da, da. You know, it's that thing where, um, <laughs> like, you're trying to write something super masculine and it just comes across the exact opposite. <laughs> like, okay. there is nothing like, like a day. Like, there's nothing like a day. Like, blow nothing high, blow low. Yeah. World. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's not ever successful. In case but anybody's, it's very fun. In case anybody's wondering, it's nothing. there's nothing like a day in South Pacific, which is not okay. so far off so kinda of like, this. Uh, right. well, and Luck Be a Lady from Guys and Dolls. <laughs> a little bit less. Blow High, yeah. Blow Low is from Carousel. Oh, okay. God. It's about whaling. 
<laughs> I love your version of blow high, blow blow low, Elspeth. I like your version. It's just like blow me, blow me, blow me, blow. <laughs> so anyway, these are the American soldiers in Vietnam singing about the hot, hot women in the hot, hot <laughs> country of Vietnam or of the hot, hot city of Saigon. I shouldn't laugh. It's it, it's comical because of like how terrible, but then with like just a little kernel of the truth. Just in yes. that, I, I doubt men were standing around singing about the beautiful women of Saigon. <laughs> about partying with sex workers. Yeah, but they certainly okay. were partaking. Yes. Seems like it. So there's nothing wrong with sex work, mm-hmm. but I doubt that the women in this situation chose this field of their own volition. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so let's listen to The Heat Is On in Saigon. I can't even hear. I can't, <laughs> I can't even listen to the title without laughing. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit of it for you just so I you have, can get a taste of it. I have a, a fun fact when you pull Saigon. it up. <laughs> so Chris does have a last name. I just saw that he does have a last name. It is Scott. It is Scott. <laughs> it's Scott. And John has a last name too. Yeah, sorry, his friend David. John. Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Scott John Thomas. Well, it's yes. not quite Ben Franklin Pinkerton, but there you go. All right, oh, here man. it is. I just, I wish I could have been in that first audience with people, uh, you know, full of people that had loved Les Mis and were were expecting something similar and then just watch their faces as the heat is on in Saigon (laughs) begins and they're just like, oh. (laughs) Oh. All right. So the, the men set the scene. The heat is on in Saigon. <laughs> in um, fact, it is. In fact, it is. And in the the bar of Dreamland, they have a contest, and all the uh, the prostitutes compete to become Miss Saigon. Um, and Ooh. whoever wins the title of Miss Saigon basically gets like auctioned off to a marine. Oh. Um, and this one prostitute named uh, Gigi wins, and so she gets auctioned off to a marine, and she basically begs him to take her with him back to America, mm-hmm. um, which he gets really annoyed by and sort of casts her aside. And then um, all the girls sing this song called uh, The Movie in My Mind, where they basically imagine Aww. what a better life is like. Um, yeah, I mean, this is not a happy, happy musical. But uh, Chris sees Kim from across the room, and he's sort of intrigued by her innocent virginity. Um, really? And... Yeah, 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 and so John, being the upstanding buddy that John is, he basically buys uh, a room and buys Kim for a night uh, for Chris, because he sees that Chris is super <sighs> into it. So he buys Kim for Chris. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have to, I have to preface once more. Yeah. N- right now, I'm just laughing about the names. No, that's fair. Once again, not about um, the situation, so- about the names. 
Chris is a lot more of a sympathetic character than Pinkerton. Than Pinkerton is. Um, so Chris and Kim are in a room, and Chris basically um, tries to pay Kim to be like, I'm going to give you this money. You should get out of here. Um, this is, like, not a place for a girl like you, whatever the fuck that means. Um, and the engineer sees him do that, and the engineer is like, you can't do this. Kim is like my, you can't leave. You can't leave. Like, she belongs Kim. to she me. She belongs to me. She's working here, whatever. And the engineer is like, "Is it, you just don't like her. She's too innocent, whatever. And Chris is like, no, she's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they go into this room together and, and shut the door. And what basically happens in the room is he doesn't touch her. She falls asleep. She wakes up later and she was like, I didn't realize this is what it was like to sleep with a man or something like super innocent like that. And they have a dance together. And essentially they they fall in love um, and they sing um, this duet, this super famous duet from this called um, Sun and Moon. Just okay. you are sunlight and I'm moon. Yes. Well, Just like that. Nice. It's, it's starting out. At least right. with the central characters, much nicer than Madame Yeah, Butterfly. exactly. Um, and so they fall in love, and then Chris goes to John. He's like, I'm going to take some leave time off because I want to spend some time Aww. with Kim. And John is like, well, you can do that, but you've got to be really careful because the Viet Cong are sort of closing in. The Viet Cong were basically the, the North Vietnam like a people's liberation army um, that the Americans and the South Vietnamese and the French were fighting against, and they... Um, we're really gaining power at this time. Anybody that doesn't know anything about the Vietnam War, I am not the person to explain this to you. You should Google this. You should watch the Ken Burns documentary. I am not explaining this very well. Um, also, uh, Wikipedia does a great job of being unbiased in this regard. There you go. But yes, I do also have to say uh, Viet Cong, because uh, I know somebody will certainly correct us otherwise. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Basically, they are falling in love. And the bar girls the next day uh, hold sort of an impromptu, quote unquote, wedding ceremony. Whoa! Um, for Ooh. for the two of them, this like sort of unofficial wedding ceremony, and they crown Kim the real Miss Saigon because Aww. they're in love, or whatever. And then who should bust in but Kim's cousin, who she was engaged to when she was thirteen. Whoa! <gasps> um, Kim's cousin, who has since become an officer with the the North Vietnamese Army, the Viet Cong. Um, and he's basically like, what are you doing? I found you. I'm going to take you back to our village and we're going to get married because your parents promised that we were going to get married. Kim was like, well, I was 13, which was four years ago. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> it was a long time ago. Okay. It was a long time ago. And it's unclear to me. Um, I think that her cousin was sort of involved in the conflict that killed her parents oh, she was like you've you've betrayed our country you're part of this army i'm not marrying you my parents are dead anyway and so this contract is null and void get the fuck out and chris is like get away from kim and there's this big fight where like guns are waved around and then kim's cousin uh kind of storms out um nice. and then chris promises kim that he's going to take her out of Vietnam and take her to America. And then they sing. So Sun of the Moon is pretty famous, but this next song, which is called Last Night of the World, is like the famous fucking thing from this musical. Um, so <laughs> they you, sing this do song. Do you mean that literally? I mean this literally. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and so they sing a song that is based on the first dance that they ever had, and it's called Last Night of the World. 
lot of synth in this. I like the like jazz organ. Like, sort of. <laughs> like, gotta nice, love it was synth. 1989. God, not loving Chris's voice. It's such a wet blanket. <laughs> I have found you. In a world that's moving too fast. In a world where nothing can last. I will hold you. I will hold you. Our lives will change when tomorrow comes. No, he's not good. He must have been really hot. I <laughs> guess. It's like, whenever you hear that, it's like surely there was somebody else available. <laughs> And Aaliyah Salonga is like, come on, seriously? I think Leah Salonga was like 19, and they did this big search to find the perfect the perf- that Kim and Miss Saigon, and she had never done anything before. Oh, she's wow. she's fantastic, but I'm sure she was like, man, why couldn't they find somebody who could sing better than this? I know, seriously. They could do this big search to find me. Why couldn't they do a bit of a search to find him? <laughs> exactly. Where's the Aladdin guy? Where's the Aladdin guy? What's his name? Was it Brad? It was Brad Kane. Why do I remember that? I don't know. You're crazy. <laughs> Aladdin is a classic. Good with names. Yeah. Good with names. Very quickly, I yes. can clarify. It may not be necessary. Um, no, go ahead. But go ahead. I can clarify that a little bit of the dynamic of the Vietnamese, uh, or at least this conflict. Yeah, please. Essentially, so, so Saigon was... Uh, like it's a city, but also a region in the southern part of Vietnam. Uh, now it's called Ho Chi Minh City. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ho Chi Minh was the leader of the North Vietnamese during the conflict. So after the North Vietnamese won, they changed right. the name of the city. But during the conflict, the Viet Cong were South Vietnamese people that essentially sided with the North Vietnamese cause. And so it's like a delineation. Basically, they were engaging in like guerrilla warfare, kind of from within. Right, and the South North Viet- the the North Vietnam cause was communism. Right. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and it, it was terrible. So when when the country was divided into North and South Vietnam, basically initially people were told like if if you would rather be in the other part, you can do that like there's a period of time where you can relocate yourself but of course Mm -hmm. a lot of these people is like where they live their whole lives and so why would they want to leave just because they didn't side with whoever was in power in that area that they had lived in but there were also there were uh, nearly a million people that then migrated from what would become north vietnam to south vietnam because they didn't want to be a part of that communist regime but then there's also a very large group of people um, that moved to North Vietnam or then fought as a part of the Viet Cong to resist the the government of South Vietnam. So 
It's really complex. I find it terrible that it, certainly in America we we don't receive an unbiased education about this conflict. Definitely not. And I'll Definitely say not. certainly in Vietnam uh, when I was there during my honeymoon, you once again do not see an unbiased uh, viewpoint either. And that way it very much is because it, it is currently a communist government. Uh, you see a very pointed and one-sided uh, view of things. So I genuinely feel that, that Wikipedia is the safest uh, place where you just generally get facts and then you make your own interpretation based off of the facts. Mm-hmm. And this conflict, I don't think people realize, lasted for, what was it, like 15 years? Yeah, it was a long time. Really? It, was a long, it was a long time. I, I mean, it really ramped yeah. it up with um, Lyndon Johnson. Um, it started out, I think, with like a 1,000 American soldiers and ended up with like almost 200,000 with like the draft and everything. So it really amped up towards the end, but it was going on for a long time. Right. The whole thing is just terrible. And the the toll that it took on the people in Vietnam is terrible. And then also when you think of the countless uh, service men that were sent to Vietnam that lost their lives or were injured Mm -hmm. or or whatever Mm -hmm. else, it's just all the whole thing is pretty unfortunate when it comes down to it. But back to Chris and Kim. Right. <laughs> right. Now that we've had that context. Now we've had the context. Yes. I hope, um, do, the well, actual context. I guess I shouldn't ask for spoilers. I'm just, I'm curious as to whether or not this is going to be a happy or a sad ending. What do you think? Sad. I. It follows the basic plot of Butterfly fairly closely. Okay. Just in this new context, in this new time period. Mm-hmm. Um. So they, Chris and Kim are in love. They sing about how um, they will dance like it's the last night of the world. That scene ends. Cut to three years later. Okay. Mm. We cut to three years later. Um, there's a parade going on in what was then Saigon, now, as you said, known as Ho Chi Minh City, uh, to celebrate the third an- anniversary of the reunification of Vietnam and the defeat of the Americans. Mm-hmm. Kim's cousin is now a commissaire in the new communist government, and he has ordered his soldiers to look for the engineer, who is sort of this corrupt influence that they're still trying to find. Um, and at that time, he also sends some soldiers out to try and find Kim. Okay. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and although we don't actually see what happened in the past three years, it's implied that Kim and Chris somehow got separated. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Kim, and she's been hiding in an improvised area, and she's still in love with Chris, and she believes that Chris, like Pinkerton, is going to come back to Vietnam and oh, is going no. um, to, to get her, to rescue her. Um, and in the meantime, we have, like, a double scene happening. Chris is in bed in America, in Atlanta, with his uh, American wife. Uh, no! Uh, her name is Ellen. Um, he wakes up there in bed and he wakes up from a dream and he's calling out Kim's name. That's um, and Ellen, yeah, Ellen doesn't know what happened during Vietnam. He won't talk about it. Um, and then Ellen and Kim actually sing a duet from different parts of the world called oh, I, cool. I Still Believe. And it's about like basically their love for Chris, right? For Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right. Um, uh, so at this time, you can sort of imagine what's going to happen. John actually works for an organization um, that 
looks for children that were fathered by American GIs. Okay. During the Vietnam War to sort of get them reconnected with each other, possibly rescue them from bad situations, that kind of stuff. So you can see where this is going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Kim's cousins, uh, his soldiers actually, uh, they find the engineer up north. And he spent three years working in the rice fields. The engineer takes Kim's cousin to where Kim is hiding. And she refuses the her cousin's offer of marriage because apparently that's still on the table. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, um, in walks this three-year-old hey. um, named, named Tam. Trouble. Oh. No, his, his name is Tam. Mm. Um, and Kim is like, this is my son. This is my son with Chris. And her cousin is like, this is a bastard child. And he takes out a knife to kill the kid. And Kim is like, you know, you're not going to take my kid. Um, And she grabs his gun. She sings this, like, very dramatic song called You Will Not Touch Him. She grabs her cousin's gun and she shoots him and she kills him. Whoa. Um, As as she's singing a song? Yes. Damn. As she's belting the shit out of something, she shoots him and she kills him. Um, and she flees with her son and the engineer because the engineer um, sees that she has this American song, and she has this little—he has this little dialogue where he talks about his Western nose. Um, and he realizes that this kid, um, because he has an American father, is both of their tickets to get into America. Right. Because the engineer oh. wants to flee. The engineer wants to go to America because he's like, I'm gonna make like a big name for myself in America because in America, you know. You can do anything. You can do anything. You can be a, you're a self-made man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks this kid is his chance to emigrate okay. to the United States. So he tells Kim, like, I'm. you're going to call me the boy's uncle, and we're going to figure this out, and we're going to get into America together. We're going to go to Bangkok, we're going to get on a ship, and we're going to go to America. Um, and so that is how the first act ends. They're on their way to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Wow, a lot happens in one act. The first act is so fucking long. That's all the same act? <laughs> That's all the same act. Dang. It's so, so long. Okay, so act two starts. Um, John, like I said, is working for this organization in Atlanta um, that works with finding um, these, they're called street children, which don't, is a phrase I don't particularly care for, Um which are children that were conceived during the war and reuniting them with their American fathers. So John goes to Chris and he says, Kim is still alive and she has a, a son. And so Chris is, is thrilled because he's been having nightmares all these years about Kim dying. Um, uh, and then, okay. right. So uh, John is like, you have to go to Bangkok and you need to take your wife with you and you need to find your son. Um, Why does so, he need to take his wife with him? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but well, presumably Chris tells, because like they're going to be adopting a child. I feel like. Yeah. No, that's fair. So Chris tells Ellen what happened, um, and she's, I guess, supportive, as one can be in this situation. Yeah. So their plan is they're going to Bangkok. They're going to find Cam. They're going to find uh, Tam. Tam. Uh, meanwhile, in Bangkok, they're still waiting for like um, to raise the money and get approval to get on this boat and go to America. And so the engineer is working at this lazy club, and Kim is dancing there, um, uh, and they're trying to... Wait, so in this scenario, is it that like everybody knows... What am I trying to say? So like John knows about Tam. Is John trying to coordinate with Kim 
or is that like separate information? Like if only Kim knew that Chris was on his way, she could just like hold tight and not be dancing. Well, you're you're jumping the gun a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. So we see them. They're in the club. Kim's dancing, and then John shows up, and John is like, "Chris is on his way." Ah. He knows about your son, and Kim is so elated, and she's so excited, and Chris doesn't get basically the chance to tell her, or John, John doesn't get the yeah. chance to tell her, oh, by the way, Chris is married. married. And so she's so excited. She believes that she and Tam are going to America with Chris. Everything that she's been waiting for is happening, and Kim is so happy about it that John can't bring himself to tell her um, about Ellen. Oh, coward. Mm-hmm. I know. He, he could have mitigated a lot of disappointment. I mean, there would be a fair amount of disappointment, but then he could have saved from a much higher amount of disappointment. No, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the engineer says, well, you need to find Chris yourself because I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% convinced that this dude is going to take you back to America uh, with him. And that night, Kim has this nightmare when she's visited by her cousin who was oh. like, this man is not going to take you back with him and all of this kind of stuff. And then right. we actually see uh, this flashback to three years ago into 1975. Um, and what happened was that the Viet Cong were approaching the city of Saigon. And Chris is called to the embassy and he leaves his gun with Kim. And he's like, Kim, you got to pack. I'm going to the embassy. You come like right behind me with your bags. We're going to get you through. We're going home. Um, to America. So Chris gets to the embassy and then the doors are shut behind him and they're like, we're not taking anybody else. We have to get the American soldiers out of the city. So there's this big scene um, where Kim is running to the gate. She can't get through and she's calling for Chris. She's calling for Chris and Chris is trying to get out so he can go find her. And Chris is like, I have to go. I have to get Kim. I have to get Kim. And his friend John is like, you can't leave. If you leave, they're going to kill you. We have to get out of here now. Um, And Chris keeps trying to leave. So John basically punches him in the face and knocks him out. And then they drag him onto a helicopter. And that's how they leave. So in the flashback, you finally see that Chris didn't want to go. To go. He didn't want to abandon her. But this was like the situation. And they got separated. So I have a question. Yes. So we learned that he doesn't willingly leave Kim. Mm -hmm. And he gets dragged back to America Mm -hmm. in like a punched out stupor. Yes. Does he not understand or, like, know how to write or something, like, to communicate with her in the <laughs> meantime? Chris is kind of stupid. Um, and I think he believed because there was a mob and um, the Viet Cong were descending. This is basically the fall of Saigon. Right. And so he kind of assumed that Kim was dead. Well, isn't that a convenient assumption yes, no, for him? Yes, no, I mean, right. I am not saying it's not. Right. I am not saying it's not. Um, I I think he probably could have tried harder. Although I or do tried wonder at all, at all. But at I mean, all. the man did have PTSD, and he what? I'm not excusing okay. any of his behavior. Anyway, I would also yes. think though that like I, I don't know if there was much mail passing between the U.S. and Vietnam at that time. Right, because just because the Americans were gone didn't mean that there wasn't still a war happening. Okay. In Vietnam, but still, it just it just seems like he just made an assumption and didn't really do his research oh, or no, no. even try. I mean, fair, right? Okay, that is just fair. Just clarify. Although I, I would fair. say that it would probably be difficult to. I would. But guess. you're right. He we don't see it, but let's assume he tried a little bit. <laughs> he tried a little bit. He's certainly doing much <gasps> much soupçon. better than B.F. Pinkerton. He's doing that much is true. better. That is true. So, since he's doing better, I will give him a little bit. But better than B.F. Pinkerton is not really a, a high <laughs> bar. <laughs> right. 
Better than BF Pinkerton is just not the worst. Right. right. Barely above being the worst. Right. Um, so we find out that's what happened in the flashback. Present day, 1978, Bangkok. Kim is soups jazzed. She puts on the clothes that she wore for their like wedding ceremony. She oh, sings a little reprise no. of, of Sun and Moon. She's like, it's all happening. Oh, shit. Um, and she goes to the hotel. Uh, John told her where they were staying. She goes to the hotel, knocks on the door. Who opens it? The wife. Ellen. It's the wife. It's Ellen. Because uh, Chris and John are out. Uh, I don't know what Chris and John are fucking doing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Broing it up. Broing it up. Yeah. Um. So they have this sort of confrontation. Ellen is like very polite and very understanding. And she explains that she's Chris's wife. Um, and she Ooh. asks Kim if her son is actually Chris's. And Kim is like, of course he is. And, and all this stuff. And Kim basically makes uh, a unilateral decision. She's like, you guys have to take Tam. Mm-hmm. And you have to take him back to America. She's like, I can't. Because he's like living on the streets. They have no money. If you take him back to America, he's going to have a much better life and ellen is like we're not gonna do that he's your son like we'll give you money all this kind of stuff and kim Mm -hmm. is like no you're taking him and then she leaves um was tam there at that moment no it's just ellen and kim do we see i'm assuming that tam is a a real boy he tam is a real boy (laughs) yes he is yes he is he is a real boy okay um and kim runs out and she's like if all this is true you chris needs to tell me himself you know, I don't want to hear it uh, from you. Mm-hmm. So Chris and John come back to the hotel room because um, actually they were out looking for Kim. Oh, instead well, of just like waiting. Whatever. I guess that rather than just broing out. They weren't just broing out. Well, that's <laughs> what they say. God knows <laughs> they're doing. They were broing out while looking for Kim. Right. Um, and then Ellen tells them that Kim has come and and she told Kim everything. And she says that Kim wants Chris to come and see her where they're uh, staying and that she tried to give away her son to them. Um, and Ellen issues this ultimatum to Chris. She's like, it's either me or Kim. And Chris says, it's you. Of course it's wow. you. We're going to figure this out. We're going to um, be together. And then John says, you know, Kim's not going to be okay with you guys leaving the child in Thailand. She's going to want you to take him with you. Um, and back in the the bar... Kim tells the engineer, she lies to him and basically says that the plans for them to come to America are still on. And the engineer, basically the entire plot stops and the engineer sings this big number called (laughs) The American Dream. It's got like chorus girls in it and all this kind of stuff about how he's going to become rich and successful and famous in America once they come to America. And I want to pause for one second because there is a little bit of controversy, especially recently, um, because the engineer, when this first premiered in 1989, was played by none other than Jonathan Price, who is a white British man. Oh. Known okay. for, um, he's, he's famous. He's been in a lot of shit. But basically was in, uh, for lack of a better word, a term, yellow face. Okay. Uh. Um, and and recently that's become like a huge problem. There's a huge controversy about the fact that they cast this white man to play this Vietnamese role. And right. recently in the revival, I think there was um, a lot of care was taken mm. in the casting mm-hmm. right. to cast people that were either Vietnamese or of Vietnamese descent to play the Vietnamese characters. But that was like a big controversy back I then. See. I think like Jonathan Price 
got like all these awards, like won Olivier's, he might have won a Tony, and then it was later on, because it came to America, I think, in 91, mm-hmm. with most of the principal cast, the same principal cast. Um, but yeah, that was a big deal, and that was a big controversy, and I think that they... Um, there's some rule in the writer of the show now that um, when it's done, it has to be done with like a certain percentage of mm. that's good correct correct casting. I don't mm-hmm. know it's baby steps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, so they go uh, to Kim's room, uh, and Kim tells her son before everybody gets there that he should be super happy because his dad's coming, uh-huh. and she's like, "And your dad's gonna take you back to America, but I can't go with you, buddy." Um, and so Chris and John show up and they sort of stand outside and she introduces them to Tam. And so they have like a father son kind of moment. And then Kim goes behind the screen, takes a gun (gasps) and, and kills herself while everybody's there. Everybody's outside. Um, everyone of course comes rushing in because, you know, a gun went off. Um, and Kim is there on the ground and Chris goes to her and she basically, uh, dies in his arms and she asks him to hold her one more time um yeah and she repeats something that he said to her on the first night they met she says how in one night have we come so far and then she dies in his arms while he cries out her name and that's how the show ends oh (gasps) gosh so it's pretty similar as far as structure to madama butterfly but it does make a lot of the characters a lot more sympathetic there's clearly an attempt to make Chris, not so much of a... But he's still kind of a doofus. He's a doofus, but it seems like... At least his intentions are better. His intentions yeah. were good. He didn't initially get together with her with the intent of abandoning her. Right. Like, he wanted to stay with her, I guess. Right. He want, He had every yeah. intention of taking her right. back home with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's still how it ends. Tragic. So sad. Gosh. I'm sorry. There's a helicopter on stage. Right. That's the only thing I knew about this musical Woot. before we started recording was Ooh. there's a helicopter in it. Is, <laughs> you know, I think it's so funny because whatever the cast is, whether it's the original or the the subsequent revivals, all the conversations are always about the actress that plays Kim and no one really gives a shit about the guy that plays Chris <laughs> because he's such like a white bread wet blanket that nobody really seems to care my name is Chris my name is Chris what, um, what'd you say his last name was Scott <laughs> Chris Scott and Chris my best Scott. friend John, John Thomas, Thomas. We're from America. America. Sounds like this John Thomas is like kind of a thankless role, too. Like he's just always there, but he yeah. doesn't really get his moment in the sun. That's you true. Know? John does not get a song. Yeah, although John played a role in all of this. He did buy Kim. I know. He did. John's also problematic. Yes. Right. He didn't deserve a song. <laughs> you don't deserve a song. John. John. John John Thomas. Thomas. Well, gosh. Okay, so, Elspeth, since you're the only one that is familiar with both of these works, you must Mm. choose. You must. You absolutely have to since I was forced to on Aida Aida. Which do you like better? I kind of want to say Miss Saigon because I just find 
the character of B.F. Pinkerton so infuriating that it mm-hmm. um, affects my enjoyment of the opera. Right. I thought that would be your answer. Yeah. And I just, I think, and I mm-hmm. said this in the last episode, I, granted, I've only seen maybe three productions of, of Butterfly. I have never seen a version of Butterfly where I feel like Pinkerton is portrayed as anything other than the romantic hero tenor lead. And that is infuriating. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, people should probably boo him at the curtain call. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to see a production of Butterfly where he is just portrayed as the sleazebag that he is. Yeah. That would be really interesting because I feel like... I would really appreciate a version so, like that. Oh, it, it, it really is, like, annoying and just... It feels so incredibly... Gross. Like, well, like consciously blind to his faults, right. right? And you're like, just he's a horrible person. Yeah, just play him like he actually is, instead of trying to make it sound like somehow his actions are excused because because he's a white male tenor and he sings. Well, he sings good and he sings well. Right. Yeah. Well, you know who would be perfect to do that production? Barry Kosky. Barry Kosky. Barry Kosky. <laughs> Barry Kosky, if you're listening. What a good good segue. Yeah, it's a please, great segue. Please consider doing a production of Madame Butterfly in which you make all of our desires about the character of Pinkerton come true. So Barry Kosky, for anyone that doesn't know, um, is a very famous director. He's done operas, he's done musicals, he's done theater, he's done all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, he was pretty famous for um, a version of Carmen that he directed where, at the end of it, instead of Don Jose killing Carmen, she grabs the gun and she shoots him. Nice. Dun, dun, and that's dun. how it ends, and it's deeply satisfying. <laughs> you did, Don Jose. You, you did, Don Jose. Okay. Deeply, deeply satisfying. Um, but Kyle has a personal experience <laughs> with with Barry Kosky. Right. Um, if you want And it. actually, we're going to stop right now, and that's right. going to be a special bonus episode in the future called The Barry Kosky Experience. I feel like we've referenced it in the past because it's just everything Kyle says talks about it so well. So look forward to that upcoming little mini episode the about Barry, Barry Kosky. Kosky experience. <laughs> experience. But <laughs> in the meantime... We thank you for listening to this episode about Miss Saigon and last episode about Madame Butterfly. This does, mm-hmm. ladies, does this conclude our this versus that? I think for now. For now. Certainly for now. So we'll leave the door open. Right. And in the meantime, we would love it if you could find us on social media and, mm-hmm. you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. And if you're feeling extra kind, please go ahead and visit operaafterdark.com slash Patreon, and you can show support for this podcast. We would love it if you could go on there, show us that you love it, and make sure that we keep on doing it. Yeah, give us a dollar. (laughs) Yeah. A dollar. A dollar. If you're in Canada, it would be a loony. Really? (laughs) What? That is the name. <laughs> that's the name of our one dollar coin. Is the loony? Oh gosh. Go, what? What are the rest of the denominations? Denominations. <laughs> There's, right? We only really have special names for the one dollar coin and the two dollar coin. So the loony and the, what's the two dollar? Toony. A toony. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that so funny? It is. Oh, that's a real thing. I know. 
<laughs> Give us a loony or a hey, toony. You, oh my god, you know, I love it. You know, we've That's been so talking a lot. <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the loony, but we, hey, what should we call this two-dollar coin? Oh, oh I guess probably a toonie. Yeah. Oh well, God. okay, just for, just for some context. No context no. needed. The loony, <laughs> the loony got its name because the animal on the coin is a loon. Okay. Okay. Right. But when we looked at the animal, I'm just, this is pure conjecture, but I'm guessing that when they looked at the animal that was on the toonie, they were like, no, we can't use that. What is the animal on a toonie? It's a polar bear. (laughs) So you can't call it (laughs) poonie? I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) A loonie and a poonie. Or it could be a pony. (laughs) A loonie and a pony. Oh no, my gosh! It's got to be. It's got to be the same. A polar boonie. <laughs> <laughs> a polar boonie. I've never heard that one. Oh gosh. We went. We went uh, with the most simplistic answer. Just oh. call it the toonie. Oh man. Well. <laughs> Shit. Hopefully that. <laughs> but it, everything else is like compared. Comparative to like American nickels, dimes, and, nickels, quarters. Dimes and quarters. We don't have pennies. That's the only. Oh, thing. Well, so no one, smart. No one uses pennies. So smart. smart. I hate yeah. the penny. Yeah. Well, hopefully this little tidbit is entertaining enough <laughs> to send you to operaafterdark.com slash Patreon. Wait, yeah. so like a 20, 20 Canadian dollars, like a 20 Canadian dollar bill doesn't have like a, a cutesy name. No, no. The $1 coin and the $2 and coin are the only ones that have a cutesy name. It's disappointing. But if you want to give me $20, you could give me 10 toonies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take ten toonies, please. I mean, it's not nearly as cute, but our dollar coin, most people Toonie call a silver dollar. No one calls it that. Some people call it a silver dollar. Isn't it called, like, a Yankee buck? I've what? never heard anyone no, use that. No, that's just a, a Canadian thing. That's how I refer to, like, American dollars when we're talking about like whether you're paying in Canadian dollars or Yankee bucks. It's... Oh my gosh, Whoa. this is Yankee so. Bucks. We need to do this a whole is episode. Fascinating. Right. We need to do a right. whole episode on Canadian vernacular. I like Chuni right. to the tenth power. We'll find a way to tie that, it into bucks. opera. That's twenty bucks. That's twenty bucks. Yeah. Get it. Get it. Get Wait. It, get no. It. No. No. That's not. I mean, to the tenth power. No, it's not. That's entirely right. different. Okay. Okay. This is not a math podcast, though, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Gosh, we could just go on for days, couldn't we? We could. Uh, but for now... Yankee yes. bucks sound like Monopoly money. <laughs> Why? Yankee bucks. Yankees is the name of I American mean, we do team. say bucks. We do say, like, you know, oh, two bucks. Two buck chuck. We will say that, too, in Canada. Like, we'll say it's ten bucks oh, for wow. something. But I guess it's just... To be whimsical, whimsical when we're referring at times to American dollars instead of Canadian dollars. Toonies yeah. and loonies. We will you call know, them Yankee bucks. And toonies. You know how we refer to Canadian dollars? Oh no, we don't. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kaboosh! Oh, Nailed man. it. Sick burn, Kyle. <laughs> I couldn't. I'm real sad inside. Uh, yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> You made Naomi see on. I couldn't resist, although it was probably the most American thing I could ever say. <laughs> but I was thinking it when you said that initial deleted, and I was like, we don't refer to <laughs> What are you talking about? I can only say that because 
Naomi knows that I have a very high admiration for Canadian people and she does. and the country in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like Kyle wants to be an honorary Canadian. Oh god, I would love nothing more. Like if you went to Newfoundland, you'd kiss the cod and everything. Mm. Like it would be I get the words that you're saying, but I don't understand <laughs> them in the context of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you kiss the cod? What is an actual fish? That is a it is a fish and it's like a thing that you do in Newfoundland, which is like to be a true Newfie. Fish? Yes, because cod fishing was a huge right. industry. And Newfie there. was a loony? Newfie's with a loony. Yes, Newfie is the <laughs> slang for people who are from or, Newfoundland. Would you call... Newfoundlander? Newfoundlander, Newfoundlander yes. Newfoundlander. Would a okay. Newfie yeah. call themselves a Newfie? A Newfie? Probably. It can be used in a more derogatory way, but it can also be used in kind of like a loving way as well. It all depends on the tone, I feel. Right. Um, but in Newfoundland, to be considered a true Newfoundlander, there is a whole like ritual that you do where you have to kiss a codfish and if you are really interested in this you can (laughs) you can see this whole thing enacted as it is integrated into the amazing musical come from away there you go oh so if you're curious check it out catch come from away and you'll find out more dang it i should have seen come from away catch come from away catch a codfish yeah right (laughs) kiss the cod kiss it release it there's so much. Kiss it and release it. <laughs> Do you kiss it and then kill it? I mean, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Kiss and release. Uh, kiss and release, folks. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it's not a terrible Canadian accent. I say as the non-Canadian. Oh, thanks. Is that right? what I sound like? Yes. Uh, not you. <laughs> Others. Others. No, exactly, exactly. Others. Like that. I ha- I can amp it up if I need to. <laughs> if mm. it's going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. If you're trying yes. to earn your loonies and toonies. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we got to wrap that up. We could do this for Looney days and days. <laughs> Thank you all so much. If if you if you've stuck with us this far, we, I applaud you. Uh, thank you for listening through We've our been shenanigans. Elaborate lives. Right. We, we have been. We have our sun and our moon, and so on and so you forth. Are sunlight and I I don't know the rest of the words, but it's pretty, right? That's fair enough. It's pretty. I will say thank you for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. I'm Kyle. I'm Austin. I'm Naomi. See you soon. Bye. Bye. You.